You're listening to Working, the show about what people do all day. I'm your host, Jordan Weissman, and this week I'm going to be talking with Tanya Abitbal, who is an event planner at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. And when I was planning out this season, it occurred to me that nobody had ever interviewed an event planner on this show, which struck me as kind of strange because they have fascinating jobs. If you have a friend who does event planning or ever met one, you know that all sorts of things go wrong. It's high pressure. Clients can go absolutely insane. All sorts of things come up. There are stories. The thing about museum events is that they often or typically double as fundraisers. Uh, You've got a lot of rich and important people coming to these galas. And Tanya is one of the people responsible for making sure that they have a very, very good time. So you're not only going to get to hear from the first event planner to appear on Working, you're going to get to hear from a high-stakes event planner. What's your name and what do you do? My name is Tanya Abibal. I work at the Museum of Modern Art in special events. And what is your job in special events? I mainly work on production um, and design in the events department. Interesting. So if you are throwing a party at MoMA or a gala or some sort, you're producing and designing the event. Yeah, I work on all their in-house events, mainly the fundraisers. There's four a year. And I work on some of the um, opening exhibition openings, uh, receptions and dinners that take place here. And so what does it mean to be on the production side of these fundraisers? What kinds of responsibilities fall under that job? That job is not normally something that would take place in the special events department at any institution, any museum. It's usually done by an outside vendor. So it's a little unusual to have somebody that does production and design inside the events department at a museum. So it's something you'd usually hire someone out else exactly. to come, out, to come yeah. over to, yeah. be, to be like the creative on a, an event. Yeah. Um, I started here in 2012. I produced one of their larger fundraisers, Party in the Garden, takes place in the summer, in 2011. And I produced that with my former employer. His name is David Mon, and he has a big production company. He usually does like the really, really, he doesn't do many fundraisers, but he does like the $4 million weddings, the $2 million birthday parties. And I worked for him for two years. Small, modest affairs. Very small. Just your, your, yeah, your, your most <laughs> intimate gathering with yes, a few close friends. Exactly. And I think I reached out to the director of special events here for a birthday party we were planning for one of his clients. And he went back, we went back and forth for like a week. And then he came back to me and said, no, you know, we can't do any private events. It's a slippery slope. Like, I'm sorry to say no, but we're not going to be able to do that. Yeah, I'm imagining this person had like kind of like a Bruce Wayne at the museum kind of gala or something along that. Is that what yeah, they were? Yeah, I mean, of- <laughs> like MoMA, uh, I think Guggenheim, the Metropolitan Museum of Art and a few others don't accept any private events. Yeah, I feel like a lot and of, billion, a a lot of billionaires have from, to have been disappointed by that over time. Yeah, billionaires <laughs> and also, you know, people in the entertainment business or people that think that we would say yes to them. But the answer was no for this particular event. So we just moved on and we ended up doing it at Four Seasons. But about a month later, he reached out and he said, we are planning our you know, fundraiser party in the garden and wondering if David would be interested in producing that for us. So I ended up doing most of the production on site with the team here at the time. And then 
Nicholas, who was the director of special events here at the time, um, called me and he said, listen, there's an opening. Would you be interested in working here? And I said, well, yeah, you know, who wouldn't be interested in working in special events at MoMA? It's such a great institution. And so what ended up happening is my job was basically producing some of the larger fundraisers, decor, flowers, all the rentals, lighting, AV, and some of the larger corporate events that take place. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I think one very basic question I, I probably need to ask is just what does it mean to produce an event? Like that's that's a term that <laughs> I think... Yeah, well, it seems like there's a lot <laughs> packed into that that one word. What is what is it to produce a, a fundraising gala? So very simply, everything that you see, hear, touch, eat, and experience is producing the event. Yeah, the chair that you're sitting on, the tablecloth, the plates, the lighting, the AV, the music. The flooring, the decking, the scenic, the facade on the stage, every single thing that you experience in that event has been produced. So you're working with about 20 different vendors for some of the larger events. And you started off in sort of like this private event world. How similar is it to something just like wedding planning? The production piece of it is very similar. The client and the the back end and, and the communicating with, with the client in, in this scenario would be the museum but in a wedding you're dealing with dealing with the family with the mother of the bride with the you know like you're dealing with a lot of different dynamics so that makes things sometimes a bit more difficult um there's no bridezilla at the museum there's definitely no bridezilla. (laughs) thank god although i guess like isn't that the board of trustees sort of like who's the who's the equivalent of the bridezilla (laughs) No, but I mean, the board and the people that we work with here are very much in tune with the aesthetic of what I bring to the table. For example, I was working with one particular trustee, and this was for an uh, exhibition opening for Robert Gober. And his art is interesting. The colors are very muted. It's kind of macabre a little bit. And I was working with her on what she wanted and the colors that she wanted, and I had an idea to do just arrangements of something called Dusty Miller, which is like a leaf with like kind of this like furry little like silver hairs on it. And you know, when people think of centerpieces, they think of flowers, they think of something pretty. And this was a little different and out of the box because it was just one foliage that was very, that's it's an interesting foliage. And I just offered her maybe doing that down the table with like, you know, monochromatic like vases that went with that and the table that had the same color. It was like kind of like a grayish greenish color. And she said yes to it, which I was actually really surprised because you have to have sort of a lot of confidence in your aesthetic to be able to say yes to something so different for a dinner for like 300 people. So 
We we do work with a lot of great trustees here. How often do you run into a situation where like, nope, <laughs> is it? That in a situation where they don't like yeah, what I'm offering? Like, yeah, where, you know, it's the equivalent of, of, again, the bride or the family saying, uh-uh, no, the settings are not, that's not going to be the setting, or yeah. I, I want absolutely this. Like Every once in a while, someone's involved where they want something that's very ordinary in my mind. I've been doing this for like 15 years, so... Yeah. When somebody says, I want roses or boxwood or like something that you've seen a hundred times, I just despise that because okay. it, it's, I mean, it's like what you would think of a carnation or something like that in my, in my mind. <laughs> yeah. It's something like cheap and just, it doesn't say anything. It doesn't, it doesn't make a statement. So there were a couple of instances where that happened and I just try to make it work. Because I mean, you're a creative professional. I, I imagine you're trying to do something different each time with an yeah. event. Yeah. And I want to do something different because a lot of the people that come to dinners here and that are part of, you know, the things that that happen in the museum as far as events, they've been to hundreds of events. They've gone, you know, to so many things. So you want them to come here and have a different experience. You don't want it just to be another another event. So how out there do you get with these events? What's the like most outro thing you've done or managed to convince someone to do? Um, I don't know. Because we also don't want to do something too out there that, like, you know, the only thing that maybe comes to mind right away is I decided to do a dinner that was all almost black. Like the whole thing was dark gray. It was dark gray tablecloths. The whole we painted like we, I painted walls that were like charcoal gray. Like the entire thing was very, very dark. What, where was this located? In our lobby, the main oh, lobby. Okay. Yeah, it was here. The entire, you saw the whole lobby was turned into a big like, gray black. Really, mo- it was almost like a really dark gray, almost black box. Okay. It was very impressive in the sense that the entire thing, there was not one piece of color in the entire room, the entire event, the chairs, everything. What about the food? Black Except, and, black and yeah, fish? The food, the black food rice? Was, <laughs> <laughs> Is it porridge? The food was the only thing that was not dark gray. Did you have um, any say over that? You're like, when, you, when you walked in, into the room, it was a complete shock because I don't think anyone had ever seen something like that decor or that like look in any of our events. And it was also daring a bit, I think, because it was for a spring event, late spring, early summer. Way so that's not the first thing that you think of when you think of spring. No, funerary gray is not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but my sense of it was sort of, you know, if you don't take a chance and you don't do something different, then they're always coming to the same thing. Yeah, it's the rubber chicken no dinner at the, at the yeah. institution. And there's no surprise. And we, you know, in a year we'll have, we have four large fundraisers and we have, you know, sometimes five dinners and we have 15 exhibition openings and we have, you know, so that can become stale very quickly. And it can become stale in the life of somebody that is not only going to events here at the museum, but in other institutions in New York. The fundraisers seem like they're the biggest part of your, or sound like they would be like the biggest part of your, the most important part, probably, right? I they mean, are big because they involve a lot of work. And yeah, they Also, are, that's where the money comes from. That's where the money comes from. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> that's where I spend the money. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's where the money goes and where the money comes yeah. from. Both of those things. Yeah. So. I've never been to a museum fundraiser. Only a certain, I think, certain kind of New Yorkers end up at them. Before we start talking about how you put them together, what are they like? What, what if I walk into one of your events? What am I seeing? What am I? What's going on? For three out of the four, there is a performance. Okay, 
it's usually a cocktail reception followed by dinner and there's either a performance during dinner or there is an after party where there's a performance. And I mean, they range in size. Mm -hmm. The largest one is about 650 guests. And then the other few are about, on average, 300 guests. But you're seeing, hopefully, you're seeing something different every single time you come. You're having a different experience every every single time you come. So who are these guests? Who's invited? It's always our trustees. Every trustee is invited. And then for something like the film benefit, for instance, which is coming up on November 19th, we have a sponsor. So it's Chanel. It's some of the people that they've invited. It's the honoree. Uh, This year, it's Martin Scorsese. And it's an invitation list from him. And yeah, it's basically the invitation master list is comprised of the different groups that are involved in that particular event. So it's a combination of... Honorary. Famous artists. Sponsor. Artists. Companies. MoMA. MoMA core trustees. And um, yeah. And the kind of people who end up at a lot of these things over the course of a year, probably. Yeah. So they can be a little blasé. Yeah, of and course. you have to impress them. I would be blasé too. This was my eighteenth <laughs> event in <laughs> 2018. Yeah, I mean, these people are doing the circuit. Yeah, yeah, of course. And this isn't the only place where you know they go. They're board members in other other museums and other institutions. They go to many, many events. And the purpose of the fundraiser is: are they trying to get people to write a check at the end of the night, or no, is it give beforehand? So, How does that work? Oh, so so the way it works is we sell tables. They usually range from twenty five thousand to a hundred thousand. So there's there's different brackets, and yeah, that's how we raise. So someone has paid a hundred thousand dollars for a night out with their friends for the social circuit, or the, this stop on the social circuit for, mm-hmm. for this year, and now it's your job to keep them entertained and impressed. Exactly. So these events usually have, do they have sort of themes that you work from when you're planning them? Yes, most of the time there is. It's not a theme really. It's just it's just almost like one small thing that I can like grab hold of and work around that. For one event, we were going to do it at MoMA PS1, which used to be a school. And I thought maybe it would be nice to do plywood tables on like sawhorse legs with these really cool trays that I found from a company that's been around since like the 1880s. So my thought process there was to sort of do a modern take on a cafeteria, like a school cafeteria. Yeah. And so you brought all the trustees and all those folks to the school cafeteria. Basically. What was the reaction to that? <laughs> <laughs> it actually it actually never ended up happening there. So oh. I had to change and do an about face and do something totally different. Oh, I'm kind of sad um, you didn't. I, yeah, I know. But those are things that we sort of have in our back pocket. And it's something, it's a design that I completely flushed out. So before we even um, get to the point where we're executing the design... There's someone, usually it's the president of the board of trustees that's looking at it and making the decision between, I usually, I usually present three different looks, mm-hmm. very different from each other. So if there's something you don't like about one or the concept or the, or, you know, the colors, whatever it is, there's another one that's very different. And then there's, there's a third one that maybe usually is a little bit more kind of like middle of the road, middle of the road, like kind of easy. They sometimes and might involve roses. <laughs> never. never <laughs> Definitely never that. <laughs> okay, so what's the theme that you have actually done recently to give me a sense of like the kind of event that I like that actually does make it to production? So the last one that I did that was large was I 
took an arrangement that we did for a dinner and everybody had a great reaction to it. It was actually really very, very bright. It was like yellows and blues and reds and something was that was a little out of my comfort zone because I like things that are... I don't like primary colors. And this was just, you know, like it looked like a toy box. It was the true red and yellow and blue. And there aren't a lot of flowers that are like a real blue. It sounds like a Mondrian or something. Yeah. 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 And they loved they loved it. And I, I really liked it, too. And so when it came time to present the three looks, one of them was this arrangement with the idea to mirror that on the tablecloth. So I would have custom tablecloths made with that like graphic, but a lighter version of that. It was putting those flowers on the walls. It was getting a custom carpet made with a, a huge graphic of those flowers. So just taking that and multiplying it by a hundred. So when you walk in the room, it's just this explosion of flowers, but in different gradations of vibrancy. So the tablecloth had the same flowers, and but nothing else was as bright as the flowers themselves. It was beautiful. How does this process begin? Do you huddle with a team? Where where do you begin? We always huddle with a team and begin the process because there's a lot more than just production and design. There's the invitation. There's the benefit committee letters, the fundraising piece of it. You know, with the invitation, there's the master list and getting that together. So we all we all meet as a group to go over everything. And after that, my part of it, I sort of work on my own in terms of the design. And then I just present it. You're brainstorming on your own. And it, and it, there's never like a process really to it. It's like I said, it's sometimes I see something and I say, that might work. Where are you getting inspiration from for an event? Sometimes it's a color. Sometimes I take a picture of something that I see in a store. Or I was in Marbella, actually, and there was an ice cream shop <laughs> that had these rods hanging from the ceiling. They were all different colors, but muted colors, which those are my colors. Yeah. I love muted colors. And they were just everywhere. And they looked really cool. I just took, I took a picture just to sort of keep that in the back of my mind if that would sort of fit in for anything that I'm doing in the future. So it, the inspiration could come from anything. So you come from the shirt, the T-shirt you're wearing. The, the all black. But I've already if, done that one because it's all kind of gray. I was going to say, if you're doing another funeral theme. That, that, no, I'm done with that. Um, so any interesting space you're in could kind of become the grist for an event because you can kind of blow that up or yeah. take that little bit and, and make that an environment. Yeah. I mean, for for dinners, for exhibition opening dinners, there's always something to start with. It's artists. Yeah. I did one for Rauschenberg. And I mean, I could not get anything from that. It was just all over the place. I didn't know you what could, to do. You could like stick a stuffed eagle on the no table. Clue what to do. <laughs> yeah. You could cut I a hole through the <laughs> through the tablecloth and stitch it back together. Yeah. Throw some red paint. You're yeah. good. <laughs> I was really lost on that one, and I happened to just like run into the curator of the show and like in the hallway. Yeah. And I asked her, I was like, is, is there anything that you can think of, like even a color? Just give me anything, anything. 
And she said, what about Captiva? That's where he, he lived. And it's very beachy. And so that's all I did. I went, I Googled, I looked at images. And within an hour, I was like, okay, I have it. I have it. <laughs> so I did, I did a sisal carpet with the same color, kind of like this soft sand color. What, what is sisal? Sisal is a natural fabric um, okay. a carpet. You see it all, all over the place. It's okay. sort of like kind of a sandy colored okay. natural material. Oh, okay. I think carpet. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. And I got a light sisal. So it was bleached almost like, like the color of sand. And the tablecloth was the same color. And in the museum, monochromatic always works and is impactful. And then I did these kind of like old iron containers with tropical foliage everywhere. But it wasn't the tropical foliage that you would think of, like the elephant ears or like the greenery. It was like pastel tropicals, which there aren't too many pastel tropicals, but they looked beautiful. And then we did some large arrangements in the room, and it really was impressive, That's I think. That actually is kind of a left turn if you think about Rauschenberg, because I don't. if you're listening, you haven't really seen a lot of his art. You know, Some of it is, is known as like silk screen prints and stuff mm-hmm. from like the 60s, but some of it just looks like a junkyard got thrown yes. on a canvas. Yes, <laughs> so I know. That's, that's, like, <laughs> that's why I threw in these sort of like very worn iron like kind of containers. So And oh, and I had, because um, it was family style, I had these uh, wood platforms on the table. So it was wood and iron, and then everything else was the sand color, which is the environment that he lived around and in for years. When people arrived and they may not have been expecting a beach theme for a Rauschenberg event, did you have an explainer somewhere or like was there a little... No, no? you just have to take it all in and if you don't get it, you don't get it. <laughs> so the artist doesn't explain their work no. here. <laughs> it's open for interpretation. Ohio. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Okay, so you've conceptualized it, and that's when you start doing the different versions that you're going to eventually present, right? Exactly. The sort of the yeah. three that they can they can go with. Yeah. And so is that something you're also doing on your own, or then are you working with other people to produce those versions? I'm doing that on my own in the office itself, but of course I work with mm-hmm. many other vendors to actually execute the design once and execute you've actually the been, events. Once you've been given, okay, yes. this is the version of the event we're going to do. Then it's a lot of phone calls and emails and walkthroughs and meetings and yeah, with the vendors that are actually producing and executing the look. So how much of your life is like dealing with like flowers? <laughs> that sounds like um, a very important part. A lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it. Flower arrangements are very key. Yeah, because it's In a sense, it is key. In a sense, it isn't key. What's key, I've learned throughout the years, is that the overall look is what you remember. The overall sort of like experience. You don't remember details. No one does. You remember kind of the essence. If I don't know exactly how to explain it, but you remember the essence. You remember if you were at a beach or not. You remember that. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So the flowers are definitely important and they're important to me for them not to be ordinary. But the overall look is the most important. So like 
it's hard to explain that. It's hard to explain that, like, the essence of the room is what you're what you always have to have in, in the back of your mind because that's the only thing that people are going to be walking away with is the essence of the room. They're they're not going to remember any details. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like- that said, I am in the market very often, and I am very picky about you know the, the look that is presented in the museum. That seems like it's really good advice for anyone doing their own event, just period. <laughs> it seems like yeah. if you're throwing anything, it's like uh, the details are totally going to be, no one's going to remember the font. Exactly. And you know from the events that you've been to, whether it's a wedding or yeah. whatever whatever it is, you do walk away with sort of like the essence and the experience of the night. You very, very seldom remember the details. So once you're in that planning stage, how long do you typically have to put one of these events together? Um, it ranges anywhere from... Um, three months to a week. <laughs> okay. Yes. For And these are events with hundreds of people, potentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How, what's the... Yeah, very seldom does it happen where it's... We, and, and those are outside circumstances. And But in the event world and the people that I work with, the vendors that I work with, and I try to stick with like a team because you get to the point where they know the process and they know you, they know what you like, they know what you're looking for. So we're all working sort of like in, you know, in this happy space where they can predict what I will need for the event. But they're all very used to last minute things. That's the way this industry sort of works. Like, I need you to produce a wall and I need it in two days. <laughs> like, okay, we'll call the lumber yard tomorrow. <laughs> You've got these 20 different vendors. What are they all doing? Who are these vendors who, that you're talking to? There's the rental company, there's the caterer, there's audiovisual, lighting, scenic, carpeting. There's sometimes somebody that's making a decal for you or a large poster. There's walls that need to be made. There's so many different elements that go into the different events. And it isn't always the same vendors. It's depending on what you need for that particular event. And then you also have the performer going as well. And the performer. Are you involved in that part of it too? or That part of it is huge. So for me to have to do all of it, usually there's like teams of people that mm-hmm. do this. So that part of it, um, a colleague of mine does that and is in charge of everything performer related. So I am involved in the staging piece of it because it's some of the same vendors that I use for other things, AV and and, and the lighting needed for the station, the scenic and things like that. But as far as um, green room or, you know, hair and makeup that they need or transportation or anything like that, um, my colleague takes care of that. They take care of that. Mm-hmm. But you're so you're dealing with kind of creating this space and not I assume not the meal stuff. The, the food is or are you you're dealing with the food, too? Yes, that, that, that we to, do with the team. Yeah. So I'm but I'm I'm working with the, the caterer and they usually present like I would do for decor they present like a few different options do you try to menu. wrap in the food into the event somehow like was there no. a Rauschenberg style plating or <laughs> no, no usually don't I stay away from that because when you get into that realm you're compromising possibly what the food is and it, it doesn't work so a little gimmicky. I sort of stay away from that. Yeah. Yeah. This is why I wouldn't ever survive. <laughs> it's, it's fine. You put a shoe on my plate. <laughs> Thanks, Jordan. Uh, no. Um, but yeah, the food is a whole other animal. But is that something you you worry about a lot? Because I mean, the stereotype with these events is that the food is like. 
again, it's the rubber chicken. I mean, are are you fighting against that constantly, or you know, with a when an event with six hundred people, there's always going to be complaints about food. You can't please any. You know, even just the two of us will have completely different views of, of yeah. you know, how we like our chicken or how we or, you know, what we like to eat. So imagine 600 people and I don't like the fish. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't win. So but, so you but you do the, the trustees, right? Those are probably the most important guests usually. I mean, do you have to cater yeah. to their palates or do you have to know what they like to eat? Well, there are many trustees. How, how many are you? I guess how many are? 80. Yeah. So you can't even please all of them. You can't please all of them. But what we do try to do is we try to put together a menu that most will be happy with. And there's always a vegetarian option and there's always like a gluten-free option. But you have to be aware of some people's likes and dislikes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, we always know, you know, kind of like with the president of the board of trustees and, and the honoree and, you know, like the top level, they don't like these things. We stay away from that. That's relatively simple because it's only a handful of people. Okay. So you've you, you've got to deal with the food. You've got to deal with the lighting and the carpet and the building a wall. <laughs> sometimes building walls, sometimes covering things up, sometimes... Painting a room black. Decking. The first time I did decking actually was in the lobby. So What is decking? Decking is creating a floor. A new yeah, floor. Yeah. So a new floor. Yeah. Whether it's a platform, so a higher level, or in this case, what I tried to do, instead of have guests on two different levels, what I tried to do is to have them all on one level. Because there's also the dynamic of like, where am I sitting in the room? Especially if you're purchasing a table at a certain amount, you want to make sure that you're sitting either in the prime spot or at least in an area where you think is you need the A to seating. Make people feel important with yeah, where they're seating because exactly. they paid good money to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what I tried to do instead of having it on two different levels, which would in, in essence be two different rooms, two different spaces, really, I tried to do it all in the lobby, which before the construction started and the lobby is very different if you've passed by today was one top level and then you would go down two steps to a lower level. And in order to have everybody just in the lobby, we'd have to use every square inch of it. But for people to be in this like lower space doesn't feel right. You've got, you got the people up on the hill. Yeah. <laughs> got, and then you're like... <laughs> you have people below them. Exactly. And, and you, when you're sitting down, your sight line is like the seat of the person that's on the t- higher level. You, you've <laughs> so got it's a, not good. You've basically got a fairly rich guy looking at an even richer guy's shoes. That's, yes. that's, that's what you're trying to avoid. That's exactly it. Yeah. That's exactly it. Okay. Um, very well put. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you had to build a fake floor in order to so do that. So I suggested, how about this? How about we level out the entire lobby? So that was the first time that I played around with decking in the space. So after I did the decking that year, we never again did it without decking. So from every yeah. time you've had to build... They loved these, it. Yeah. Everyone loved it. <laughs> so everyone felt like they were on a co-equal plane. Exactly. They felt just as important. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you're doing something, building a fake floor. I assume you're not personally there. You're supervising no, a crew. Not. You're not in the with a hammer. <laughs> I can't even lift a hammer. I don't even know how to use <laughs> hammers. <laughs> you're telling the guy. Terrible. Yeah. So we have a scenic company yeah. that I've worked with for quite a while that does this and they do it really well. They're like a set design company. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And they build walls. And so so once you do the decking, what I ended up doing was like building a, a wall sort of like to cover 
the functional things that are usually in the lobby. So like the ticketing desk and the membership desk, there are walls that I built to cover those up so you didn't feel like you were sitting in the middle of what was a functioning lobby the day before. You're sitting in a beautifully, you know, decorated and executed room. Then a few years ago, I decided to do the same thing in the garden and build up the fake floor and the walls and in the sculpture garden in the sculpture garden. Okay, And that was mainly to accommodate more guests. There's a performance piece for this particular event. There's an after party and there's a performance for the after party. And it was really to get everyone sort of on the same level and to be able to see the performance because the lob, the garden as well is lots of different levels. What did you do with all the sculptures? That's where you have like Picasso sculptures and stuff sitting yeah. around. Did they yeah. hang out there too? or did you? So we had to build around all the sculptures. So there was like a two foot perimeter around each sculpture. And then we of course, covered the, in, you know, the inside piece of it. So it was a finished, like, drop down of the floor. And then we had lighting illuminate the sculpture. So they were almost sort of in their own, like, in case little... So, yeah, you gave them a spotlight. A little spotlight, yeah. Yeah. So you're running a construction crew now each time you're throwing an event, essentially. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You're, you're, you're... Well, not each time. <laughs> we don't do this all the time. <laughs> we do it once a year. Yeah, okay. But still, even when you're doing, you're building walls, you're building floors in the lobby when you're having a, a gala or a fundraiser, you're going to the, the sculpture garden for stuff. So you, you, it sounds like you're almost like a, you go from a designer to a general contractor at some yeah. point. Yeah. And we're trying to do everything so that the guest experience is optimal. At the end, that's what we're trying to achieve. This past party in the garden, because of construction, we couldn't do the dinner inside the museum. It's always been the dinner was inside and the after party was outside. The after party and the performance was outside in, in our sculpture garden. This year, we couldn't do that format because there, wasn't, there was not enough room to do the dinner inside the museum. And we need to see at least 650 guests. So we had to flip things around. So we had to have the after party inside and the dinner outside in the garden. That meant a whole slew of things that had to be done. So we had to do, of course, like a completely enclosed tent for the dinner. Um, it couldn't be the types of tents that we usually do for the after party because for the after party, it's it's roughly like 1,500 after party guests, um, which is like a ticketed a ticketed um, thing. And I have, like I said before, I have three different tents and you know, people sort of sort of stand under the tents if it's raining. But this had to be completely enclosed sort of room. So it was one whole tent in the entire garden, and the tent was too low to go above everything. So I had to, like, cut out holes in the tent and make tree atrium sort of where the tree sort of popped out of the tent. Um, and there was a whole different decking involved for that. But because I sort of flipped things around, I, sort of, I wanted to bring the outside, because the guests that have come to the after party that have bought tickets to the after party for years are expecting to be outside because they have been outside for the past five years, six years. And I wanted to sort of give them some experience, some some piece of that for the inside. So the whole entrance, I, I did grass and foliage in the whole entrance. And you walked into sort of almost like a forest of trees and grass and and the day of, I was walking through the entrance, already all done, ready for guests. 
And I said, you know what would be nice here? Maybe just like a hint, even something that you can't really, really hear, but it's in sort of your subconscious is like little birds, like a little bird sound. So you just sort of walk in and it was it was an experience that I don't think anyone has had here before. It was just bringing the outside in. I assume you didn't actually bring parakeets in. You got like no, audio. <laughs> no, I had to get an audio of that. Okay. <laughs> and at first I thought it could be cheesy, but we tried it. We just we just quickly got some audio and we were like, okay, let's just try it and see how it sounds and see if it's cheesy. Because if it's cheesy, obviously I don't want to do it. So you're like laying turf and like bringing in bird sounds it was grass and trees these huge trees that i got from a nursery in new jersey live trees live trees beautiful live trees in like burlap grass do you mean like you like laying sod or are you like no it was faux grass but the trees were real all the trees were real (laughs) and i got ferns everywhere and trees and it was just you could smell it and, and even just the smell when you walked in was very like earthy. Yeah. Wow. That's that is elaborate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's an elaborate entrance. <laughs> every time I've ever talked to a wedding planner in my life, they always have like some crazy last minute thing that comes up and they have to deal with it. Like mm. you were working on an even bigger scale. <laughs> for, yeah. Like yeah. so, and and that always happens. Yeah. So what what kind of crazy stuff comes up? So I always say in special events, you have to be like solution driven and you cannot have the freak out moments because things go wrong all the time. And especially when you're working with so many different groups and vendors and entities and you're working with the museum and then you're working with trustees and and something always goes wrong. There was an event where I was building... Um, where I had to, cr- because of the sculptures in the sculpture garden, I have to crane in uh, the arches for tenting. If whenever we do tenting, and we have to we have to bring in like a twenty foot tent, you can't build it in the garden because inevitably you'll be lifting up the the arch of the tent, yeah. and there will be a sculpture in the way. So you're go- so, you don't want to knock over the Picasso, right? Or <laughs> no, definitely not. Like you don't want to knock tilt the goat over. Yeah, <laughs> and some of the sculptures you can't move. There's an obelisk that you know is in in the in the garden for quite some time, and you just that's something that you just can't move. It's not like you can say like, okay, move this over two feet to the right, so no. I can put you know my tent in. So what I started doing was I started bringing in a crane to crane in the arches for the tents like, on 54th Street like that giant, would crane it in. Like and, would ordinarily have a wrecking ball or something on yeah. it, but this time it just had your tent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the crane would like drop in the tent where it needed to go instead of, and, and it was a lot cleaner to do it that way, instead of having to build something in what is in essence a gallery in the museum. It just happens to be outside, but it is a gallery. Mm. So this is leading to something crazy going wrong. I'm really nervous because it involves (laughs) a crane. (laughs) One word, crane. Yeah, right. So when you do do something like that, what you have to do is you have to pull permits. And I pull permits for all the larger events. So there's the TPA, which is a permit that you need whenever you go outside of the capacity for a space. That's one of the permits that we have to pull. And then there's a street closure. So the street closure is really only for the crane because the crane takes up a large part of the street and, and it's hard for cars to get around. So I pulled all of the necessary permits um, and then the day before when the crane was scheduled to come at 6 a.m. the next morning and I get a call in the office from security and they said, hey, Tanya, the DOT is outside and they want to they want to talk to you. I said, oh, OK, I, ha- I, I 
got my folder out with all the permits. I had everything ready, you know, in case they wanted to check anything. They said, yeah, you know, you're not going to be able to do this street closure tomorrow because there's a, a parade that's happening on Fifth Avenue. And this is one of the, the like the routes. What parade? The Israeli Day Parade. Oh, you can't mess with the Israeli Day Parade in New York. <laughs> what was funny was it was like a nine-page permit. And and I was like, I don't understand. I have the permit. Like, it was all approved, and this was like weeks ago. Yeah, but Israel. And, <laughs> so. No, he goes, yeah, there's a stipulation. And he's flipping through the pages, and it's like page nine. Yeah. And there's this little stipulation at the bottom of it. And he said, if there's a parade and this has been determined as one of the routes into the parade, then you cannot have any trucks. You can't have a lane closure. You can't have a street closure. You can have nothing, none of it. So we worked something out with them at the end of the day. And what ended up happening is they let us come in as soon as that route was sort of like tapering off and closed off. So the parade, I guess, started at like 9 a.m. and by 3 p.m., it was pretty much over and they allowed us to come in. But it meant that the crane had to be like sort of on call. And I learned that day how expensive a crane and a crane operator is per hour. (laughs) (laughs) Per hour. I was like, how can I train to be a crane operator? Uh, (laughs) Because they make a lot of money. (laughs) So you're a designer and kind of a creative person by like nature. That's your, Mm -hmm. that's your original vocation and you've sort of had to become this like Mm. this logistics person yeah that's but i really enjoy both of them because a logistics person is you have to have a mindset of one problem solving two thinking a little outside of the box and that's really like producing something that's like producing a space like that's like the essence of producing the space and then on top of that you layer on the decor which is like the pretty piece and then, of course, everything else, the food and... When the event is actually happening, once the guests are, what are you doing? Or is your job over at that point? No. So at that point, it's making sure that the service, that catering goes smoothly and quickly. Nobody wants to wait more than five to ten minutes for the next course. And... Um, there's usually like a run of show of their speeches um, or a performance or speeches and a performance. And my job, my job and my boss's job is just to make sure that it all goes to as, as close as possible as we can get to the timing that was scheduled for everything. How many people are you yelling at in the course of the night? You can't yell really in the course of the night. I yell a lot beforehand. <laughs> But in the course of the night, you really have to be poised in front of everybody. <laughs> you have to, you cajole. Yeah. That's, you You very yeah. sternly tell people to do mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you're not like shredding your vocal cords at any no, no. Okay. You have to walk and, and look like you're poised and everything's going really, really well and perfectly. <laughs> you have to keep that like very, just smooth, like Yeah. It's like a poker composure. face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Do you have like a way you celebrate the end of an event? Well, we celebrate the next day, and we treat ourselves to burger heaven. (laughs) We all have curly fries and, like, a huge burger. (laughs) (laughs) So the next day is great because there's, like, a relief that it's all, it's over. And the stress, you know, just sort of, like, just, you know, melts away. But there's also... um, 
kind of a little sad. It's, you know, it's a bit of a sad moment that you're like entrenched in this event for sometimes three months and then and then it's done. On to the next one. You got to yeah. start designing something else. Yeah. So this is my final question for each of these interviews. What is your favorite thing or piece of art at MoMA? Edward Munch had the screen. The, the screen was here for about a few months on loan. And yeah. I thought that that was just amazing. And Andrew Wythe's uh, Christina's World. And there's also like an inside joke in the office that one day I'm going to make a Gerhard Richter. <laughs> You're going to make? Yeah, my own Gerhard Richter. Because <laughs> <laughs> I love his work. And I saw a documentary and I saw the way he, you know, he made some of his pieces Wait, so, and I came in the next day and I said okay I need the canvas and I'm gonna get a big like huge spatula and I'm gonna do this and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna make some because obviously I'm all I would never be able to afford my own Gerhard Richter how many Richters are in the museum do you know uh, I'm not sure we have a few in the long run I'm not sure how many there are in total um, okay, in the collection keep an eye out for it. I should yeah go look for them yeah all right thanks so much <laughs> thank you That's it for this week's episode working. I hope you enjoyed the show. As always, if you did, please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or send me an email at working at slate.com. Again, that's working at slate.com. Working is produced by Jessamine Molly. And a special thank you to Justin D. Wright for the ad music. Catch you next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.